This is the History of the World podcast with me, Chris Hasler. And this is the History of the World podcast, unscripted. Welcome to the History of the World podcast, everybody. And this is an unscripted episode. And if you've never listened to an unscripted episode before, it's normally something I do just to let you know that I'm still here. So what um, has been going on in the world of the History of the World podcast? Um, I haven't been writing that much just because I've been quite busy. I've been uh, gallivanting around and uh, doing one thing and another. And I've not had an opportunity to do a lot of writing. So... Uh, I think possibly um, the next week or two will be unscripted episodes. And it's my way of presenting something to you so that I don't just completely disappear off the face of the earth for a week or two. We always publish something every week. So this is our way of doing it. Uh, Now, um, I was fortunate enough to be able to travel to Portugal Um, this week and uh, I had to be very careful about the entire quarantine measures and that kind of thing so uh, we were very careful about that we were abiding by the rules so we haven't broken any rules at all but while I was out there I was able to visit a place called the Chapel of the Bones and um, some people have, um, have seen the Chapel of the Bones before but there are more than one Chapel of the Bones. So this one's in a village called Alcantarilla um, in the Algarve. It's very much a Portuguese thing and what they've done is that they dug up a local cemetery uh, around 500 years ago and then created this chapel of of human bones. It's not going to be everybody's cup of tea. It's going to come across as quite grim and morbid for some people but I found it absolutely fascinating. And if you want to see uh, this Chapel of the Bones, um, all you need to do is go to the History of the World podcast social media accounts. And we've just literally opened uh, this week um, a TikTok account. Um, So you can follow the History of the World podcast on TikTok. And hopefully um, when I get those rare opportunities, uh, as it is at the moment, to visit historical sites and I'm able to take a video I'll post them on TikTok hopefully share them through Facebook and Instagram as well so you'll get the opportunity to see the things that I'm seeing and enjoy those historical sites now for those of you listening to the regular podcast you'll know that we're in the thick of ancient Rome and we're actually we've we've covered the period uh, of the kingdom and the republic um now Uh, We're venturing into what is historically referred to as the Roman Empire. And so when we pick up the story again, we'll be looking at uh, the story of Mark Antony, um, Octavian, uh, Cleopatra. Oh, excuse excuse my laptop there. (laughs) 
And so there's probably going to be about another dozen podcasts about ancient Rome before we move on to other cultures of uh, Europe and the steppe and, and then further afield into Asia, um, talking about India, China and the Americas. And um, that's all to come. This week, I thought that we would cover something completely different. Now, the, we we talk about the characters of history we talk about the events the battles we talk about the chronological story of our history what we don't often do is focus on aspects of historical teaching and one of those very well-known aspects is the seven wonders of the ancient world it's one of those things that's often talked about and uh, we don't have an episode on that so I thought to myself well, here's an opportunity to have a closer look at the seven wonders of the ancient world and what they are, um, where they are, and why we can't see most of them nowadays. And also, um, we have mentioned many of them over the course of the podcast, so I'll let you know where you can find out the backstory around some of the um, some of the wonders. So we're going to do them one by one, and uh, we'll start with the first one now. The Great Pyramid of Giza. The Great Pyramid of Giza is the oldest constructed wonder of the ancient world. It's also the only one that's still around today. It's also the tallest of all the seven wonders of the world, and it was the tallest building in the world. Uh, supposedly until the construction of Lincoln Cathedral in England in the 14th century. The general consensus among historians is it, it was the pharaoh called Khufu who commissioned the construction of this pyramid and this took place over a period of years, maybe 10 or 20 years, during the 26th century BCE, so it's over four and a half thousand years old. The pyramid at the moment doesn't look like it would have done uh, back when it was first built. There was uh, like an outer casing of stones uh, that, has, that has perished and now we just end up with the pyramid's shell really. There's evidence of this facade um, when you look at the pyramid, the top of uh, the pyramids um, it's been preserved in some cases uh, but we still get to see the immense structure and its splendor with possibly two million stone blocks have been used and uh, it covers 13 acres of space so it's huge the biggest mystery of the pyramids is that um, human society can't deal with these days is how on earth it was constructed uh, not purely just because of the physical aspect of it, because it would have taken immense manpower to move these stones and then to actually construct a building out of these huge stones that would have been that is on this kind of immense scale. Not just that, but it's actually very well um, aligned uh, in terms of its uh, geometry. And it's so accurately aligned that people can't figure out why 
uh, or how they could have done this without modern technology. So there's a lot of mystery that surrounds the Great Pyramid uh, that um, we don't, we cannot work out exactly all the ins and outs of how this was built. And there's a lot of pseudoscience now attached to the Great Pyramid where um, people are discussing the... Uh, the possibility of aliens invading planet Earth and the possibility of um, there being a super culture that was in existence that we haven't yet discovered. So uh, like a, maybe a super intelligent culture uh, that once existed uh, that is missing from our history books. Due to it being commissioned by uh, Khufu, supposedly being commissioned by Khufu, the pharaoh it's it's often referred to as khufu's pyramid it sits in a in the giza pyramid complex with other pyramids um the other ones are supposedly um constructed for the pharaohs khafre and menkauri khufu's pyramid when discovered by the greeks um they refer to this uh, pharaoh as cheops so when you hear the Pyramid of Cheops, that's the same pharaoh that's being referred to. We spoke a lot about this pyramid um, back in volume two of the podcast. So if you want to find out more about the pyramid, the Great Pyramid of Giza, um, or the Great Pyramids of Giza, I should say, and Khufu's Pyramid, um, then you can go back and listen to uh, Volume 2, Episode 12 on the Old Kingdom of Egypt and Episode 14, which is dedicated specifically to Egyptian pyramids. The Hanging Gardens of Babylon We mentioned the Hanging Gardens of Babylon uh, way back in Volume 2 during Episode 7 when we discussed the Assyrian Empire. And also we mentioned it in Episode 22 of the current volume, Volume 3, on Hellenism. And um, it's a very tricky one to discuss this one. The Hanging Gardens of Babylon, we really don't know if it actually existed or not because the references to it come from Greek and Roman texts. And uh, we don't really have any um, local texts for it. The nearest thing we've got uh, that could be a description of the Hanging Gardens of Babylon are the Babylons constructed at Nineveh, which were constructed by Sennacherib, uh, one of the great Assyrian Kings, and that would have been in around the uh, the seventh century BCE. When we discussed it here during the podcast, it's because we suggested that the that the engineering um, feat called the Archimedes screw, which basically uses a screw, uh, a turning screws in order to convey liquids or material. Um, without any sort of motor. Um, by twisting the screw, you could actually move uh, water or liquids or, or, or any objects along the length of the screw. So you'd actually, it would actually be commuting from one place to another. And it's thought that perhaps 
the hanging gardens of Babylon were irrigated in this manner. And if that was the case, then the Archimedes screw, what has been called the Archimedes screw, um, as a technology existed uh, long before the lifetime of Archimedes. So it might have been in use in the hanging gardens of Babylon. If we refer to classical texts, um, then the Hanging Gardens of Babylon were not built by Sennacherib at all. And they were not built at Nineveh, they were built at Babylon, hence the name, the Hanging Gardens of Babylon. I've actually seen uh, people write the Hanging Gardens of Nineveh in a, in a bid to um, in, in a bid to revise this historical uh, site or this historical garden. And um, if we go by classical text, then they were built by the king Nebuchadnezzar II, who was a Neo-Babylonian king. So this was after the fall of the Assyrian Empire. And he built it for his Median wife, Queen Amethyst. And the reason why he would have built this is because um, Amethyst may have been homesick and um, Nebuchadnezzar wanted to construct a gardens that would have been similar to the gardens of her homelands in order to make her feel uh, more at home in her new home in the Neo-Babylonian kingdom. What I think we can say for sure is if it actually existed then it must have been built sometime around the 7th century or the 6th century BCE and it must have been built in the lands of uh, sort of central uh, and upper Mesopotamia. So uh, if it was at Babylon, it would have been near the Euphrates. If it was at Nineveh, it would have been around uh, the Tigris River. What do we mean by hanging gardens? Well, it, that's really just a translation of the Greek name that was mentioned. It's called uh, chromastos, which means overhanging. So when we talk about these gardens, we're talking about overhanging gardens. So we've, this is where the hanging gardens uh, name comes from. Because we're not really sure if they existed, um, we it's difficult to say uh, where they where they ultimately went. Um, it seems that historians believe that they disappeared, or it was it was uh, destructed, or or whatever happened to it. It was it was around about the first century AD, but it's um, it's very very speculative. But um, probably uh, one of the most mysterious of the seven wonders. The Statue of Zeus at Olympia. So the Statue of Zeus was a huge statue built at Olympia, uh, made of gold and ivory. It was very, very, um, it was a very, very luxurious statue. And uh, it was constructed by a architect called Phidias, uh, or Phidias. And um, he was responsible also for constructions at the Acropolis in Athens, such as the Statue of Athena and the, the Parthenon. Now, um, the site for the construction of the statue was, the, was Olympias, which is where the Temple of Zeus was situated and the Olympic Games was held, the ancient Olympic Games. Uh, however, the statue wasn't built until the 5th century BCE, so the Olympic Games may well have been in operation for some time before the construction of the statue. Um, the criticisms of the statue is that it was built within the temple, 
Um, it was of Zeus in a seated position and Strabo commented that if Zeus had stood up that his head would have gone straight through the roof of the temple. So um, it wasn't necessarily the uh, what, what everyone enjoyed. Um, however, Zeus um, was very, very important to the Greeks. As I say, he was the father of the, uh, the many of the Greek gods in their pagan society and that would have been significant in the ultimate fate of this statue. We made mention of this uh, statue, we, we spoke about Phidias actually in, uh, in episode 16 on classical Greek culture and we discussed him as an individual and um, this was part of his uh, part of his works, part of his life works. Uh, the statue of Zeus oversaw the Olympic Games for many, many centuries, right through until the, the fall of the ancient Greeks to the Romans. Um, when the Roman upheld the tradition of the Olympic Games, it, it continued. But ultimately, of course, Rome became Christianised and this, um, this kind of worship of pa Greek pagan gods would have been outlawed. And so the, the statue was no longer relevant in this uh, time as Roman was becoming Christianised. So they didn't want to see this statue of Zeus in Roman lands. And uh, ultimately the statue was carted off to Constantinople where um, apparently it was destroyed by fire. And that would have been in around the maybe around the fifth century AD um, or CE, as we might otherwise call it. And uh, that was the end of the statue of Zeus. The Temple of Artemis at Ephesus. Now here we are still talking about the ancient Greeks and their um, their pantheon of gods. Uh, a daughter of Zeus uh, was Artemis and uh, a temple was constructed in Asia Minor on the, on, the, um, on the western banks of Asia Minor, on the Aegean Sea. Um, so we've completely swapped focus here. So the statue of Zeus was built on the Peloponnese at Olympia. Now we're going to Asia Minor, the west coast and those colonised areas of uh, of. Asia Minor. The Temple of Artemis was built at a city called Ephesus, which um, would have probably been quite closely linked to Miletus and, and, and those cities over in Asia Minor. And um, it was one of the great temple constructions of ancient Greece. And like the ancient Greeks are very well known for their fantastic temples. And uh, this is absolutely no exception. So uh, so impressive was this construction that it ultimately it became one of the seven wonders of the ancient world, as we know. Mention of this initially was uh, made also in episode 16 on, on classical Greek culture. One of the things that we miss with these ancient constructions is the decoration. So even if we go back to, uh, you know, the, the Great Pyramid, even the place, the Palace of Knossos, um, we we see that things were were decorated and those colourful decorations have disappeared over time and, and we believe that the Temple of Artemis was was great because of the works of art that were that were that adorned 
the temple itself. So um, we we only see the remnants of these Greek temples these days. Um, so we don't really get to see them in their original splendor because all the colors and, and works have, have long since decayed and, and have disappeared. I think the one important thing to say about the Temple of Artemis uh, was that it was actually rebuilt um, more than once. So the original construction um, was set ablaze by a man called Herostratus who wanted to uh, be infamous as the, as, as the destructor of this wonderful temple. Um, however, the ancient Greeks sought to erase his name from history and we only know of him through the writings of Strabo. Um, the temple was rebuilt and uh, was destroyed by the Ostrogoths in the 3rd century. Uh, but then they also rebuilt the temple after the destruction by the Ostrogoths and it was ultimately destroyed um, by Roman Christians who obviously, uh, for the same reason that they destroyed the statue of Zeus um, in order to uh, eliminate the pagan references of ancient Greek society. The Mausoleum at Halicarnassus. So if we travel a little bit further down the Aegean coastline of Anatolia from Ephesus, um, we can find the ancient city of Halicarnassus, which is where Bodrum can be found in Turkey. And uh, in, the, in the modern world, it's uh, modern Bodrum. When the Achaemenid Persians ruled over this area of land, um, it was ruled by a Carian satrap um, called Morsulus. And uh, he was married to his sister, as is not uncommon in the ancient world. And her name was Artemisia. So obviously named after the Greek goddess Artemis, who we mentioned in the last wonder. And uh, when Morsulus died, um, Artemisia commissioned the construction of this great mausoleum. It was a temple in dedication to her husband and it was very much built in the same style as the Greek temples with the, these wonderful columns that we see uh, that were inherited by the Romans ultimately as well. And uh, when she herself died just a couple of years later, her ashes were also um, scattered at the mausoleum. So she would uh, she would forever be with her husband at this mausoleum. Uh, this time, this uh, this mausoleum was not uh, destroyed by Christians. It was actually uh, believed to be destroyed by earthquakes and um, the um, the. The, the the stoneworks that were used to construct uh, the the mausoleum were actually also used um, in the castle of Bodrum when that was constructed. So you can still see the stones that we use nowadays, even if you can't see the building. Um, and um, ultimately, this the, the King Mausolus. It's not a coincidence that um, the mausoleum was built for Mausolus. Um, the mausoleum in the modern world is used to describe many tombs and it was actually, it originated from this construction. So all mausoleums now um, 
every building that's referred to as a mausoleum is because of this mausoleum that was built for King Mausolus. So that's where the word derives from. And uh, so that is the story of the mausoleum at Halicarnassus. The Colossus of Rhodes. Now, during the uh, immediate aftermath of Alexander the Great um, and and that period of history, um, many Hellenistic societies um, sort of altered in terms of where they stood on the political chessboard of the world. And one of the places that prospered quite well in the aftermath of Alexander the Great's lifetime was the island of Rhodes. They actually saw off um, a an attack by the Macedonians um, and they celebrated this victory. I believe that, that like, if I'm not mistaken, they were supported quite well by the Egyptians at the time, but I might be mistaken in that, in that assumption. But... Um, then, um, in order to celebrate their victory, they constructed this great colossus in honour of the uh, of the god Helios, um, who was the sun god of the Greek pantheon. And this construction um, was huge. It was an absolutely huge construction, and it and it oversaw, I think, the harbour of Rhodes. Although historians are a little bit um, concerned that they've got their information incorrect in terms of its location. It's very difficult with these ancient wonders that are no longer there to have any kind of specific idea about them. Like, for example, the Colossus of Rhodes was uh, it was believed to have straddled the harbour, so that the so that Helios would have had one leg one side of the harbour and one leg at the other side, and you would have had to probably go underneath his naked body, which sounds quite in- intimidating, but um, you'd have had to go underneath the body of Helios straddling the harbour in order to reach the harbour itself. But then modern uh, architects and historians tend to um, disagree with that assumption, now saying that it may not have been practical to build such a great bronze statue, a huge bronze statue, in such a manner that it may not have been able to support its own weight. Um, whether or not it was um, or not is, is is in dispute. But what we do know is that this um, this wonder only lasted about 60 years before an earthquake knocked it over. And um, the ruins of this, um, the ruins of the of the Colossus, of the Colossal statue, um, were still a tourist attraction, so people did come and look at this. But it was a, it was in a it was in a destroyed state, and ultimately um, it was said that Arabs came along and and melted down the remains of this statue um, some centuries after. The one statue in the modern world that it has been heavily compared to is the Statue of Liberty in uh, in New York Harbour. And um, the Statue of Liberty is said to have been based on the the image of the Colossus of Rhodes. So that, that was the original idea behind the construction of the Statue of Liberty is that they were trying to emulate this Colossus of Rhodes. Just as a, a point of reference, we did cover Rhodes uh, during this period, during episode 22. 
The Lighthouse of Alexandria. Now, it was during episode 24 that we looked into the, uh, the success of the Ptolemaic uh, Kingdom of Egypt. So this was, once again, after the lifetime of Alexander the Great in the, in the, in the era of the Diadochi, who were the, the successors of Alexander the Great and how his great empire was split up, Egypt being part of that empire. And um, the man who uh, who was in charge of Egypt uh, was Ptolemy the first Sota, and um, that's the the origin of the name, the Ptolemaic Kingdom of of Egypt. And one of the great um, constructions, really, of of, of Egypt was um, in and around the city of Alexandria, where we see this great library constructed, and also the lighthouse. Um, of Alexandria was also constructed and sometimes called the Pharos um, of Alexandria. Um, the island itself that it was on is um, called Pharos and um, it was huge. This lighthouse was huge. It would have been um, the third tallest building in the world at the time um, after the two great pyramids. So for it to be taller than all other pyramids... Uh, really does say something about the the immense size of this lighthouse and it is said to have been visible for 35 miles around it and um, such was its its huge size and beauty that, that people were apparently stuck for words when trying to describe its its immense beauty its construction took so long that it actually didn't get completed until the the reign of uh, Ptolemy II, um, who uh, who was Philadelphus, um, and um, that was Ptolemy I's son. So it wasn't even completed during his lifetime. This time it was thanks to earthquakes that the lighthouse um, was destroyed although it did take many, many, many years, so it was centuries um, and a series of earthquakes which ultimately ended up in its destruction. So um, it, it, it existed, it, it managed to last um, right up until the 14th century uh, before they eventually gave up on it and said, look, we might as well build something else with the with this. It serves no purpose anymore and it's, and it's never going to last. So um, ultimately, um, as long as it lasted, this wonderful building, uh, it didn't eventually um, survive till until the modern age. It could have done. It was the, the one thing that probably had a chance... Um, as well as the Great Pyramid of Giza, but such was the was the um, ferocity of, of earthquakes in this area. As we've all, if we, we've mentioned so many times in the podcast, the, the Mediterranean lands are subject to these earthquakes over and over again, and and um, we we attribute a lot of destruction down to earthquakes in this region. So sadly, the the lighthouse of Alexandria is no longer with us, uh, like. All of the other uh, wonders, all of the other wonders of the ancient world, apart from uh, Khufu's pyramid. (laughs) 
Thanks a lot for joining me for that um, journey back into the ancient world and exploring the seven wonders of the ancient world. It was good to cover it, and I've been thinking about doing that for some time now. And uh, next week, uh, I'm not sure if we're going to go straight back into the main episodes next week. It might, I might need to take a little bit more time to breathe and get myself back into back into the old routine again. So there might be another um, unscripted episode next week. I've actually been asked um, a question by one of the patrons to the History of the World podcast, these people who we referred to as the members of the History of the World podcast Illuminati. And uh, if you want to uh, become a member of the History of the World podcast Illuminati, then just simply go to the historyoftheworldpodcast.com website, go to the Patreon link, which you can find at the top, and sign up to make a monthly donation to the podcast. And um, you become a History of the World podcast Illuminati member and you uh, can enjoy the associated rewards of doing that, as has Oliver Rubb, who's uh, who's signed up and, and become a member of the History of the World podcast Illuminati, as has Maria Triana Kirby, also, who's signed up and um, also Todd Smith an old friend of the podcast has now become a member of the Illuminati at long last well done Todd thank you very very much um, I'd also like to um, to give a special mention mention to Daniel S who has uh, increased their pledge and um, that is a very very generous uh, thing to do Daniel S very much appreciated and I do believe that it's correct to just acknowledge that here. Um, one of our members of the Illuminati, Adam Hosier, has, uh, has popped a question, which is something that um, Illuminati members are entitled to do once they cross uh, a donation threshold. All of these details are on the Patreon site. So if you're interested in that, just go along there and read that. Uh, but he's interested in the... Uh, in we well we go back to the medicine ancient medicine episodes and uh, he's uh, that's it from volume two he's interested in um this art of trepanation and um the dangers involved um, in basically in drilling holes in the skull or carving holes in the human skull in order to relieve pressure and uh, the dangers of doing that so we might touch upon that and and discuss that a little bit more at length next week so that uh, could be something completely different but also something to look forward to something that's very relevant in terms of human development is our medicinal knowledge so uh, we will look forward to talking about that Adam so thank you for posing that question uh, Mario Segnini sent me an email this week. I'm just going to read that one out to you. He's put, um, I think the podcast is excellent. Let me nonetheless make a short comment about the use of the word technology. The word was coined to describe productions processes that resulted when an old production technique was improved by applying the scientific method, systematic trial and error analysis, etc. And this did not take place until very late. Um, in our human development, possibly within the last few centuries. So for many centuries, there were techniques, but no technology. I hope this is a small. Uh, I hope this is a small suggestion. Does not discourage the great job that you are doing. Um, 
Mario, a really interesting comment there. Um, I've rarely seen um, a message quite like that. It's very, very interesting. And, and I think you touch upon a point where it really is about, um, I think, the interpretation of the word technology. Now, um, if, you, if you look at the word technology, it's really as an academic study. It's not really been um, extremely relevant until the last few centuries. And, and I think that's what you're alluding to mainly. And when I talk about technology, I can be talking about anything right back until the, right back to the development of stone tools. So, so um, even though the people then wouldn't have called it strictly technology, it was uh, it was the earliest form of human technology, I would suggest. So, um, but in terms of academic study, in terms of it being used as a word, technology, the study of technology, yes, I don't think there would have been much in the way of scholarly. Um, you know advances in that field of study um until more recent times until the industrial revolution really but um uh, certainly technology is it derives from a greek word so it's, it's greek in its construction but very interesting email so thank you so much for sending that in and allowing us to sort of look at that more closely very very interesting indeed happy cath seven what a wonderful, what a wonderful handle that is. Happy Cath Seven from Canada has uh, reviewed the podcast and put excellent podcast. I'm on volume two, episode sixteen. Absolutely fascinating. A Canadian fan in Wolfville, um, NS. Thank you very, very much, Nova Scotia, NS. Yeah, if I'm not mistaken, sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm a bit ignorant over this side of the Atlantic. Um, Thank you so much, Happy Kath, and I uh, hope you continue to enjoy the project. So thank you to anyone that sent me a message. I'm sorry if I haven't read it out on here. I'll tell you the reason why. is because I've got so many forums on the go now. It's just impossible to keep up with them all. So like, I mean, you can follow History of the World podcast on Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr. You can follow on Instagram. You can now follow on TikTok. That's the latest one. So my handle is History of the World Chris. So you can follow me on TikTok. And um, if uh, if you've sent me a message and you know, I don't reply instantly, it's really just because I'm a bit of a technophobe and um, and I've, and I've not found it very easy. So uh, if I do see it, I'll reply to it. And uh, if I don't reply to it, don't be upset. You can... Give me a nudge and just uh, point me in the right direction. I'm always happy to mention anyone that sends me a message during the podcast episodes. I'm going to wrap up for this week. Uh, one way or another, we'll be back next week. I'm not sure if we're going to do a full episode or not. It really does just depend on how my week goes uh, now that I'm back. And uh, But nonetheless, definitely, there will be a publication next weekend. So don't worry. Anyway, thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode. Um, bit of an unusual one. that We haven't done it for some months, but hopefully you enjoyed it anyway. And uh, until next week, be good. Do you want more from the History of the World podcast? Then visit our website, historyoftheworldpodcast.com. You can join our discussion forum and find us on social media. Support the podcast for as little as $1 per month by clicking the Patreon link. Email the show at historyoftheworldpodcast at mail.com.
work on, the best ones will be read out. Be sure to rate and review the show wherever you listen to us.